0: morning church. hopefully your week has been well been blessed experienced the Lord throughout the days that have gone on um, so I wanted to share I was telling uh, Scott and Betty and, and by the way it's great to see you glad that you guys have recovered well and, and, and looking good and hopefully feeling a whole lot better um, but you know um, every so often I do check in with you guys, and, and, and I like to make mention of what the Lord has been showing me, and what I believe is vision and direction for this church, the Brilliant Life Church. And uh, for the last, I don't know, it's been it's been a portion of time, it's been a season of time. I've uh, I met with a good friend of mine I hadn't seen in a long time, and said, you know, sometimes the Lord gives like little fireworks boom, and, 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 and the Lord shows you something. And it's, maybe it's not in-depth, but He shows you something. And I think that's upon us to go and inquire about what is this Lord you're showing me. And, and so um, I've been uh, going through the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I think I'm in chapter 15 right now. And I'm not rushing through them, but this is my leisure time, not when I'm studying for Sundays, but just my time with the Lord. That's one that's one of the main books that I'm in uh, in, in, in my my downtime uh, with the Lord, trying to draw closer to him. And as I see, as I, I heard uh, some, some of uh, the gentlemen talking, you know, just the, the things that are unfolding that we see in the world and in our country. Uh, I, I, every time I, I go to the book of Deuteronomy, not that, so God's not a gene, right? We understand that. We're not looking at his, him as some kind of magic lamp that we can rub a certain way and all of a sudden we're going to receive uh, things from him. With that being said, there are spiritual disciplines and there is, there is a pattern that's laid out in Scripture of how you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, can live a successful life, a victorious life in Christ all the days of our life. It's laid out simple and plain, but it is for individuals to take the time and seek him to find out what is it, how can I live victorious in Christ. He tells us all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, now I know that it's, in context specific to the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, to the Jews. But this can be applied to us as well. And he talks, the Lord speaks. He says, have no other gods laid before me. So we are not to idol worship. Now, in where we live, uh, you know, uh, these things. I have a, a laptop in front of me. I have an a, a, a iPad. I have an iPhone. These things can be, are like idols if we don't use them correctly, right? And the technology, it's all these gizmos and gadgets. It's not a carved image out of uh, wood or, or, or stone or metal that we, we bow down to. But, so that's the first thing. And then he talks about being in the Word, giving the Lord the first fruits of our time. Well, what is the first thing we do? What is the first thing we think about? What is the first thing we're longing for when we get up in the morning? Is it coffee? Is it a bite to eat? Is it some email we need to check? Or is it getting down on our face posture before the Lord and saying thank you that you've given me breath in my lungs and my organs are working, if that you've watched over me. Help me to partner with you today. Help me to partner with the Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins, all that, right? And, and so it's like in the morning, giving our time to the Lord. Throughout the day, pondering, reflecting on what we read or you know, whether it's hearing uh, messages uh, or, or actually getting in the word reading. And then before we lay our heads down the street, getting in the word again. What is the last thing that you and I put into our minds before we hit the sack or hit the hay of a, we have to say? Is it the 10 o'clock news? Is it some sports commentary? Is it a game? Is it some, you know, some we have uh, some sitcom that we've, you know, uh, recorded and we haven't watched it and we got to get through all the seasons? Or is it the word of God? You know, and, 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 and the Lord spoke to the Israelites, and I'm not trying to get too much into it, but I spend just a little bit of time. So, you know, he took them out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, right? And and from what I understand, the land of Egypt and Canaan were not the same as far as irrigation and the quality of the land. Uh, watering underfoot is what was said in Egypt, what they did. So they would have to draw water from the Nile to, to feed the, 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 all of the plants and all of that because the land wasn't that great but the land of Canaan land flowing to milk and honey God said he would rain down water from heaven in and out of season and that land was flush that land was a great grand land for them and since the Canaanites were wicked evil people who loved sensuality and all the things that come with it the Lord wanted to partner with the Israelites and use them as a as a form of of judgment upon these people for not repenting of their sins. So he said they should annihilate them. Uh, the Canaanites were known as people that reached heaven. They were very big, strong, mighty people. So the Israelites knew that they couldn't do it on their own. And they needed the pardon of God. But God said, if you do what I tell you, and if you obey me, you're going to go into the land. You're going to possess the land. The land is going to produce for you plentiful. You will have blessings upon blessings for generations to come. And he said, if you disobey me, these generational curses will follow you down down to the third and fourth generation. So it was up to the Israelites, what were they going to do? And as I've been seeking the Lord on the matter, the Lord has led me to fasting. He's led me to fasting. Now, I'm not up here parading it. I'm not talking about what I'm doing in my personal life. But just know I don't share anything with you that the Lord hasn't already been taking me through. These are things that that I personally, the Lord, has dealt with me strictly on this. And again, it's not a formula. It's not some magical thing you do and all of a sudden you get what you want. That's not at all what it is. But I'm going to read this portion of scripture to you. And starting tomorrow morning, we are going to do as a corporate body. And I'll explain more. And you can ask me questions after the service if you have any questions or concerns about it. But this is what the Lord has told you. Because all these things are going on in the world and in our country, and I hear all kind of different opinions upon the matter. I'm like, Lord, what can I do? What do you want me to do? I can't storm the 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 Capitol building. I can't make these politicians understand what what I see, what I what what the Lord has shown me, how I'm supposed to live, love my neighbor as myself. Lord, let me fast. I need to fast. I need to fast. So we are starting a seven-day fast starting tomorrow and going till the next Monday, the following Monday. Now, anybody who wants to participate, this is something that is up between you and the Lord. But I'm bringing this to the table as the church, saying this is what I believe the Lord is showing me we are to be doing. So I highly encourage you to do it. There's many different kind of fast you can do. You can do a fast. Uh, you know, a water fast where you're abstaining from any solid food. You can do a partial fast where specifically Daniel did that uh, when he was in Babylon. Um, you can do a youth fast. It just depends on where you are at with the Lord and you can him today and figure out what the Lord wants you to do. But, but this is where the Lord, well, this is what the Lord has shown you. You know, if you're serious, talking to me, my heart, if I'm serious about the condition of what I see in people and, and where I see things uh, going, it's like, keep that fast, keep And I know that's something we haven't talked about That I don't hear that really a lot in many churches. I don't want to talk about it because fasting is hard. It's difficult. You give up something. And I'm not talking about fasting from social media. That's not biblical. I'm talking about suppressing the flesh, suppressing your flesh. Having the flesh not dominate us for every meal, every snack, feeding our flesh, but feasting on God, feasting on Jesus Christ, seeking Him. Because it's not so much, if I fast, He's going to give me what I want. Fasting prepares us so we can actually hear from Him, and we can hear from Him clearly, crystal clear. So uh, this is an encouragement and a challenge to these kids. because there are some things that cannot be broken with just prayer. Jesus talked about it. Certain demonic oppressions that are upon people or some people that are not believers that are possessed. It takes fasting and prayer to break these strongholds. There are certain things and maybe some of our lives, the people we know, they're not changing because we haven't gone the route of fasting. And maybe you have. And praise God if you've already been on that route and these are things, these are spiritual disciplines that the Holy Spirit has you. But I know for a fact that I've heard clearly from the Lord. And fasting is a vital part. So I want to share this portion of scripture real quick and then we'll get into our message this morning. Found in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And it says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in grief. Instead, tear. Your hearts return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is not easily angered. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. Who knows? Perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before <laughs> that is so powerful. And, and I'm not saying you know, we're going to save America or we're going to be used to save America. What I'm saying is in order for us to be used effectively in our sphere of influence, we need to have this brokenness about us. We need to have this desire so strong that we want to seek the Lord so much that he, wants to be, he has to be so close to us in our lives that we're willing to fast to keep his faith. Uh, I mean, Jesus fasted, the disciples fasted. There's so much on fasting in the Word of God. And they did it. And it seems like it's a lost lost concept in modern-day Christianity. I know there are plenty of churches that do do it. But I know for me personally, this is something that the Lord has said, I no, think so this is something that we need to do. And who knows what the future holds. Maybe there will be something where one Sunday out of the month is something that you do. I, I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is this is where we're at right now, and this is the lesson the Lord is coming you to pray. I pray you receive it well, and you experience manifold blessings and you're drawing closer to the Lord in your week of fasting. however you figure it out between you and the Lord to do so. And also, take into consideration, lastly, real quick, mm-hmm. uh, your medical condition, okay? There are some people that are not able to do a fast in an extreme sense. Uh, now, what I understand, there's an extreme fast for even a healthy person like 15 days. You know, Moses, Jesus, 40 days, no water, no no bread. That's miraculous. I wouldn't still do it. I have a buddy that he did a 40-day fast, but it was decent. But, you know, I, one to three days is like extreme. For a normal average person with decent size, uh, you know, decent help. So, again, consider all these things, There's information you can look up about it before you start it, if that's something that you sort of go on YouTube. Again, you can talk to me after the service and, and I can um, inform you of information that I know that could help you along your journey. So, I uh, just wanted to share that and uh, I know it took a little bit of time, but uh, these are things that uh, the Lord has shown you. So, with that, we are in Revelation chapter 17. We're starting a new chapter. <laughs> uh, we're starting a new chapter. I'm very excited for, uh, for the message today. It's going to be a two-part series. Daniel will be teaching on um, the second portion of uh, this chapter next week. I'm excited for that as well. But we're in Revelation chapter 17 this morning. We'll be going through verses 1 down through 8. and uh, It's entitled, Simply the Great Prostitute and the Beast, Part 1. Uh, your translation may say the great harlot and the beast, uh, but you know, I'm running with the great prostitute and the beast, part one. So once you're there and you're able-bodied, please stand for the reading of God's word and we'll go ahead and get it to the message. I will try my best uh, to end on time. Like I said, if I go over five, ten minutes, please uh, be uh, gracious to me. Okay, so it says, starting in verse one, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come! I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wines of, of, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewelry and pearls, holding in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the impurities of the sexual immorality. Verse 5, and on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes and of Earth's Abominations. This is strong language. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Let's say. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your guidance. We thank you for, if you will, a cheat sheet. You show us, Lord, what is to come. You give us far clear warnings that you love us so much we desire is to see none cares. Father, as we go through this portion of Scripture, would you be gracious enough to give us insight? Would you help us to rightly divide your word? May we see the relevant impact that it has on our lives and our society today. May you show us what we need to gain from this so we can apply it to our lives. May we see clearly uh, these things that are coming about, the enemy trying to cause delusion, and may we see clarity, the truth, so that we may see life instead of death. Father, we thank you and we praise you. May we worship only you in Jesus Christ's name. We pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, we have several main more main points. Excuse me. This morning, the first one is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, we must know the difference between being clean in Christ or being cleansed in Jesus Christ and being polluted by the desires of this world. We need to know the difference. We've got to be able to see clearly the difference between being clean in Christ and being polluted by this world. You see, the great prostitute is recognized as the satanic influence in this world. Remember, since... Sin entered the world, Satan has become the god of this current world system, small g. He is the one who is influencing people, uh, people groups, anybody without uh, the Holy Spirit living inside of them, he is influencing them or trying his best to gain access into their lives. That unclean spirit is in complete opposition to the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, the third... uh, a third person of the Trinity. You know, we understand the difference. I know, we're mature people here. Yeah. So we understand the difference physically between a virgin and a prostitute. But there is a deeper meaning of these two types of lifestyle spiritually. You see, we need to view these scriptures not only through a physical lens, but most importantly through a spiritual lens, through a spiritual perspective. Scripture often uses the concept of sexual sin as a parallel to spiritual corruption. Someone who is corrupt in the sight of God spiritually. Someone who has forsaken their way and is consumed with this world. The imagery here is meant to be seen just that way as symbols explaining, explained later in this chapter by the same angel. The reality is this. We will either be set apart as virgins, uh, the bride of Christ, as the church, or we will be prostituted, poured out, if you will, in the ways of false religion, false belief, and the pleasures of this world. You see, a virgin, by definition, is a person who has never had sexual intercourse uh, or sometimes who has never engaged in any form of sexual activity at all. But this definition is what I think best suits our text this morning for where we're at. It says where we're at. Excuse me. It says one who has never used or experienced a specific thing. An example could be, and this is a silly one. I've never eaten tofu before. <laughs> you could say I'm a tofu virgin. I just haven't experienced tofu. Well, when it comes to spiritual things, we want to be virgins of satanic worship. We want to be those that never even think about going that route. We don't even want to consider or contemplate or even be tantalized by any uh, deception in the realm of satanic worship. You see, on the other hand, in contrast, a prostitute by definition is a person who is considered to be sexually promiscuous. You can use your imagination You know what that is. A person who, is, who compromises their principles for gain. A person who will violate behavioral, behavioral standards to achieve something desired. A contemptible person. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Mm -hmm. Amen. The reality is the choice lies before you and I today. We will either be conformed to this world, or we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, there is no mystery to either one. To be conformed to this world, you will simply just need to immerse yourself into it. All the activities, engage in all the world has to offer, all of its pleasures, all of its th- things that say they will please you and fulfill you. All you have to do is immerse yourself in it. I think of Las Vegas. People mm-hmm. so like, I want to go. I get when people got to go for other things, but I'm talking about going to Las Vegas to fulfill your carnal desires, your fleshly desires. It's all right there. It's like a carnival of sin, and allow yourself to be influenced by it. That's all you have to do to be. Uh, conform to the to, to the ways of this world is to immerse yourself in it. It takes no effort and brings no reward. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you need to immerse yourself into the Word of God, to allow yourself to be influenced by the Word. It takes great effort and brings great reward great effort i think that's where as people right we all have it's, it's difficult for us because anything that's hard to do uh, you know as a child we we, we, we scoff at it but the reward is great just like this whole concept of fasting it's easy to go feed our flesh it's much harder and much more of a challenge to say no I'm going to suppress my desire to eat, and I'm going to feast on the word of God. Instead, I'm going to keep him. I'm going to depend on him 100% and not fill my body with food. But you see, this is exactly what we see in our text today. The world has allowed the influence of the great prostitute to pervert its ways, and they have continued to commit commit sexual immorality with her. And the spiritual implication of this sexual immorality is death. It's death. That's our first main point. The second main point is this. Satan, the great prostitute, the beast, and the false prophet are all headed for destruction. That's a, the that's a one-way road that that unholy Trinity is on. It, 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 they're going to the pit. Our text here says in verse 8 that the beast is going down to the bottomless pit. You see, there is no rest. Rest or peace for Satan and anyone who decides in their heart to pledge their allegiance to him. You know, that's that's so crazy that there are people in this world right now that pledge their allegiance to Satan. They say, I worship you. I honor you with my life. I will sacrifice my children for you. I will sacrifice my family for you. I will carry out your bidding." This is something that people need to be aware of. You see, the enticements of this world are not worth your soul. Mark chapter 8, verse 37 says, For what can, can a man give in return for his soul? What will a person give up in exchange for their immortal soul? Clearly, we see here that the physical acts of sex, power, prestige, control, and the spiritual adultery that is associated with promiscuity of any kind, was enough for many nations and kingdoms to sell their souls. The allure of power, the mystique of influence, of control, of being able to gratify the flesh in any way, shape, or form, that was enough for some individuals to sell their souls to Satan. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord God wanted, again, we talked about this a second ago, Israel, uh, the Israelites to conquer the Canaanites. We know that, again, this couldn't be done on our own, but going back to the fact that the Canaanites are just wicked people. Wicked people who refused to turn their way. Um, archaeologist William S. Albright, in his book, From the Stone Age to Christianity, describes what the primal focus of Canaanite religion was. And it was simply sex. They worshipped sex and sensuality. The featured idols recovered by the archaeologists are hundreds, not just some, hundreds of nude female forms in sexually suggestive forms, as well as male idols associated with homosexual cults. This is real. This is way back in the day. They found relics of this stuff. The Canaanites, with their organistic nature worship. Their cult of fertility in the form of serpent symbols and sensuous nudity and their gross mythology were to be replaced by Israel. God hated what they did. What he hated more was the fact that they refused to repent and turn to him. They could have been saved. They could have been saved. But no, they chose sensuality. They chose the allure of the flesh, of what is tangible, of what they could see, hold, and touch to be more to them. That was their God. You see, the worship of sex and sensuality has been around for a long time. And the Lord is showing us today, like he showed the Israelites back then, that he is displeased with this kind of behavior. He he doesn't like it. Because it it mars what he created. It perverts how he made us. Even the polygamous behavior, he doesn't like it. He wasn't pleased with David taking many wives, or Solomon having many wives in that harem, that's not okay. <laughs> one woman, one man, one flesh, because he knows how how our nature is. That's that That's good that Okay, the third main point. Those who continue to live a lifestyle devoted to their sensuality, their flesh, and Satan will never have their name in the book of life. Last in the scriptures this morning, we see that the angel told John, the dwellers of the earth at this time, their names are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. The reality is, humans can't serve the true and living God while worshiping any other false God. This is the thing, and hear me clearly when I say this. Anything or anyone other than the great I Am, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, anything or anyone other than, than that, there may have to be many, many names of God, the true and God is a false God. You see, so the great prostitute or the great harlot that seduces the nations of the world is definitely a false God. Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 and 4 tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And you see, all false worship is interconnected. The misuse of money and sex go hand in hand. You see, a person with money who wants to use a person for fleshly satisfaction and a person who is willing to sell their body for money, those two individuals, at some point, they're going to cross (laughs) paths. You know, unfortunately, Um, this is the whole idea behind the great prostitute. These people have become drunk with sexual immorality, and because they have decided that this is what they want, they will never have their name written in the Book of Life. Quickly, I just want to share uh, the backstory of Babylon so we kind of get a framework of what we're talking about here. Revelation chapter 16 verse 19 and uh, chapter 14 verse 18 have already declared Babylon's fall. In Revelation chapter 17, and as we go on, when we get there, we're going to chapter 18, the fall of Babylon is carefully detailed. Babylon is mentioned 287 times in the scriptures, more than any other city except Jerusalem. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> more, more, more referred to than any other city except God's own city. Babylon was a literal city on the Euphrates River. Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 shows that right off after the flood, Babylon was the seat of the civilization that expressed organized hostility to God. (laughs) Already way back then, they were already, this was just the mindset of people, these people then. Babylon was later the capital of the empire that fully conquered Judah. Babylon, to the Jewish people, was the essence of all evil, and it embodied cruelty. The foe of God's people and the lasting type of sin, carnality, lust, and greed. This is what we found, this is what we find in Babylon. In the Old Testament, the name Babylon is associated with organized idolatry, blasphemy, and the persecution of God's people. Even if you're into reggae music, you know, Bob Marley was always talking about Babylon and the fall of Babylon, right? They, had The Rastafarians have this understanding as well. They're like, Babylon is not a good thing. It is not a good thing at all. In John's day, Rome was the clearest fulfillment of the Babylonian attitude. And today, if we had to pick a city that most exemplifies the world system, I would have to say it, would be, it could either be Los Angeles or it could be Las Vegas. Those are clear examples. Maybe even now New York. Maybe even now a bunch of other little small cities. They're just taking on this, 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 this identity of Babylon. But this is what we see. All right, let's look at our scriptures now. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, who is seated on many waters, and with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with the wine of the, of, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Okay, so notice her judgment. The judgment of the great prostitute or the great harlot is assured from the beginning, from the onset. There is never any doubt regarding the fate and ultimate failure of Babylon. We know that as a religious system, Babylon came into existence long before Christianity, but... In satanic imitation, it anticipates the coming true Messiah. According to the religious history and legend, the Babylonian religion was founded by the wife of Nimrod, a great-grandson, and the great-grandson of Noah named... Say it again? Semiramis. Semiramis. Thank you, much. She was a high priestess of idol worship, so that's what she was into, and she gave birth to a son who she claimed was conceived miraculously. The son's name, Tamus, was considered a savior. We see this back then. We already see the counterfeit way back then. Many ancient artifacts remain with the familiar motif of the mother, Samaria, holding the savior infant, Tammuz, which predates Christianity. It, it, it was also said that Tamus was killed by a wild beast and then miraculously was brought back to life. Baal, and we know we're familiar with Baal and Baal worship, right? Baal was the local Canaanite name for the Babylonian Babylonian family. So it's all interconnected. It's all down the line. It, 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 it's a trip because when you start digging and you start finding this information out, you come to understand that all forms of satanic worship are interconnected down through history. just like all the truth of who Jesus is, is all interconnected down through history. It's just that that ultimate decision. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to see? You see, the Bible makes specific mention of some of the features of the classic religion of Babylon. Ezekiel protested against the ceremony of weeping for Tammuz. In Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, it says, Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, their sat." Women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abomination than me. So even back then, they were worshipping this false god. They were worshipping this idea that wasn't right. Jeremiah mentioned the heathen practice of making cakes for the queen of heaven. Jeremiah chapter Seven verse eighteen says the child the children excuse me gather wood the fathers kindle fire and the woman knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. I think that puts to bed the whole thing of Mary worship. And we don't worship Mary. Mary is Jesus, just like we all do. Praise for what how the Lord her, but we don't worship. Anything. Not okay. That's the whole other topic. And the offering of incense to the Queen of Heaven, you can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 17 down through 19. Next, we see the statement in this portion of Scripture 1 and 2, where we're at in Revelation 17. Uh, this, this harlot or this great prostitute, sits on many waters. Here, Babylon sits on many waters, which means that she presides over many nations. That's the whole thought process behind that. You see, she has a universal, international, influence. This is unification of all false idolatrous religions, with representatives from apostate Catholicism, Protestantism, as well as a smorgasbord of other religions of the world. You see, this is the thing. Many people would like to identify this great harlot with the Roman Catholic Church, but false religion is not limited to any one church. Remember. What Jesus wants, how Jesus wanted us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, Enter by the narrow gate. Narrow. (laughs) He's a very fit. Narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, it is clear that any any other belief of salvation other than Jesus Christ and him crucified is false. And right now, we see that many people won't stand for sound doctrine. They want to say that there's many ways. I, I, I was listening to Cape back. I think it was, must have been Thursday afternoon, or uh, Friday afternoon, came back from the San Francisco You and I was getting Chick-fil-A for my family and the drive-thru, and I was listening to Cape back, and uh, I can't remember who the pastor was, but they were kind of having a back-and-forth discussion. They were talking about this Oh, my God, all the information that they were sharing was so horrible. And it's not just Joseph Smith. It was the people of the time that allowed this perversion of truth to pervade them. Had even the basic fundamental knowledge of the scriptures, they would have known Joseph Smith was such a false prophet. This man said he was anointed by all these other prophets that he was given the authority to write the Book of Mormon. He said that uh, it's just, you can do the research yourself, but it's just crazy. <laughs> and these people ate it up. They ate it up. They did not have a solid understanding of Scripture. And this is why it's so important, thanks, that we take the time personally to walk close to the Lord. You should, you may not be called to be a pastor, so you should be, every single person in this room should be able to teach effectively like myself. Not because I'm special, not because you're special, because you have the understanding of the Word of God and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's as simple as that. And if the, if the Lord could take a foolish man like myself and use me in this way, don't quote change yourself. You know? we, we need to have that well-versed in the Word, that at any given time we can be able to speak the truth, in love, respected. And then it's not on us the individual yet. We either the or we want We wait. We pray. Amen? Amen. The inhabitants going back to this uh, verses one and two, the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk. So religious Babylon intoxicates kings and people. Karl Marx was partly right when he said religion is the opiate of the masses. He was partly right because empty religion is the opium of the masses. You know, we're not called to be religious. We're called to have relationships. We're not called to be churchgoers. We're called to make disciples. That is my single aim and main focus pastoring the church for the spiritual well-being of you all. Now, I know we're all going to go through physical stuff. We're all, we're all going to go through all kinds of things. We're going to experience the The worst part of it all is when a loved one dies. And unfortunately, we can't stop those things from happening. But my responsibility here is to make sure that you are growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of many of what we see, uh, many of the, the ministry that goes on, we may not see it fluctuate or grow here in the sense that we may not see these, these chairs packed. I don't care about that because I know you are all doing things outside of this building. This is what we're supposed to do in our own personal sphere of influence. But my responsibility is to make sure I'm giving you the truth and to see that you grow deep roots, strong roots, so that you cannot be upended by any fake false doctrine and that you're able to withstand when the enemy comes hunting for you. Because he does, I and mean, what, uh, what did he say? He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't take a second off. Satan is hating it, and I'll just assure you: when you choose to fast this week, that is that is like a superpower in your faith, and Satan will do everything he can to discourage you from fasting because that is going to supercharge the That's that's, uh, that's 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 it's a powerful way. Anyway, anyway, my boy. <laughs> All right, um, made drunk with the wine of her fornication. What is this? Again, it's just it's, it's, it's so strong. It's so strong and it's so direct. But the idea of fornication often has strong associations throughout the Bible with idolatry. Since this is a well-accepted religious system, speaking of Babylon, it is likely to appear as attractive and spiritual, though not necessarily moral. My wife was reading something, Ron was reading something the other day, and it said, Bishop gets robbed for a million dollars worth of jewelry. And I'm like, okay, there's so many things wrong on every front when I heard that. I don't make final judgments on people, but as Christians, we are called to make judgments every single day. If you don't make judgments, then you're going to get swept away by any wind of false doctrine. There's no reason for any bishop to be having a million dollars worth of jewelry on them. What are you doing? That's fleshly. That's carnal. That's sensual. You are rubbing elbows with the world. You brought that into the church. And then when I read a little bit of the article, it's like, wow, that's crazy. I worked hard for it. I, I can do what I want. with it. I, You're already lost, brother. You need, you need to repent. You need to fall on your face and get right. I mean, I have jewelry, I have diamonds in my ring, but I, I guess I can't talk that crazy. I'm glad that the Lord doesn't allow me to be in that position. I don't want to be dealt with that. But a person like that is just crazy. They, they start going for money and material things. Ought not be so in the church of God. Ought not be so. But he, this person, unfortunately, I'm calling it, is drunk with the wine of uh, the great prostitute fornication. Many of these false religions worship sex and sensuality. The application is simply this. The reality is the physical and spiritual connection wants to go go hand in hand. Simply put, if you and I live with no physical restraint, satisfying every carnal desire that flows from our wicked hearts, we will also be living in spiritual darkness. There's no way you can get out of that, and vice versa. If you and I submit our lives before God, and prostrate our hearts, you know, bowing to him, saying, Lord, let your will be done in my life, then you're going to live a spiritually set-apart life, a clean life, a life that is above reproach and with a life that walks circumspectly in the things of the world and you're able to sidestep all of these booby traps that Satan has laid out for you and I to try to ensnare it. And you're going to spot it from a mile away, you're say, Nope! I'm not going, nope, I'm not watching that. Nope, I'm not listening to that. No, no, no. I close myself off to that because I'm set apart for the Lord. I'm holy now. I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Amen. All right, verses 3 and 6. it says, And he carried me away, speaking of the angel of the apostle uh, John, away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prophecies and the earth's abomination. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. You see, John was carried away into the wilderness, into a uh, desolate nature of the wilderness. Uh, this was an appropriate setting for a vision of judgment. They see the space was void of any luxury. It was <laughs> so like, Go to the Mojave Desert. <laughs> Not looking pretty, unless you like the desert. I need shade, and I need water. <laughs> so this is where you know, uh, John apparently was when the angel took him. A setting for, for ultimate judgment. We see this phrase sitting on a scarlet beast. The harlot rides on the same beast, seven heads and ten horns, that was previously seen in Revelation chapter thirteen, verse one. The Antichrist and his dictatorship. It's all connected. She is supported by the political power of the beast, and she is outward and she outwardly controls the dictates or directions, excuse me, of the beast. We must understand her association with blasphemy. And the dragon beasts are clearly seen from God's perspective. You see, to the people of the earth at this time, she will look quite religious and have the faith that everybody wants. That's how she's going to draw men onto herself, this system. You already see it played out right now. This Babylonian system, this worldly system, drawing people in, people that are not understanding the word, not having discernment, and they're easily drawn into this deception. The woman was arrayed. The harlot is clothed with emblems of luxury, purple, gold and precious stones. And the government as well. Scarlet. But she offers nothing edifying or good. It's like seeing a beautiful person arrayed in all this, this wonderful jewelry, but their heart is wicked. It makes a beautiful person look ugly because their character is too and nasty. And it's kinda like was it who was it? Gosh, was it Sleeping Beauty? I don't know. Sleeping Beauty. I always looked at that cartoon. I was like, man, the, um, you know, the, the queen was pretty. But, but but her 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 heart made her ugly. No, no oh, Snow White. Yeah, her her mother was pretty. Are you pretty? I mean, it's a cartoon. It's, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't a grotesque-looking woman, but it was her character that made her scowl and, you know, give her these, these definitions of, there's something wrong with your heart. Her countenance, that changed. Why are you downcast? <laughs> it's because our heart's messed up, and this is what we see going on in, in, in the world at this time. She offers nothing edifying or good. Idolatry, abominations, and impurities, filthiness of her fornication. We find that throughout history, the one, one thing, one of the deadliest marks of corruption is the lust for temporal power. Again, purple and scarlet were the colors of rulers, whether economic or political. But we know for sure that this great prostitute has a heavy influence on the leaders and the nations of this world. Even today, we see the same evil act happening right before our own very eyes. Now we come to this statement. On her forehead, a name was written. The name on her forehead identifies her in more ways than one. An example, back in the day, Roman prostitutes frequently wore a headband with their name engraved upon it. The reality is, despite all of her glamour, he is nothing more than a prophecy. There is a great contrast between the woman in Revelation chapter 12 representing Israel, God's people, and this woman representing idolatrous false religion, mystery, the mystery of Babylon the Great. And this is next where we're at, I'm sorry. And it's the mystery of Babylon the Great. This title is not for literal Babylon that existed thousands of years ago, but it's spiritual mystery, representation, the representation of it. Which is the source, the mother of all idolatry, abominations, and spiritual adultery, which is all the harlots and prostitutes of this world. The mother of all harlots and prostitutes. You see, this harlot is larger than any one branch of a religious institution. She is the embodiment of Satan's all inclusive movement. The religion of this world system. It's crazy because I as I was studying I saw that word that word, that phrase all inclusive. You hear that a lot lately. All inclusive. You can use whatever bathroom you want. All inclusive. All these people all together. Well, we're not foolish. These are the unfoldings of what we're reading in Scripture now. It is happening in real time, in our lifetime. We're seeing it happen. The application is this. Our world, strong with the philosophy that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe is preparing for this harlot seduction. We see the casual disregard for the truth crippling the church today, unfortunately. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 down to 12 tells us, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strange delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So today, if you know the truth, you need to be so grateful that God has given you the ability to see truth, Because he sends a strong delusion upon those who love wickedness. And they stay bound in wickedness. You see, and this is why uh, just, just start getting deep into your relationship with the Lord. And you, you start giving these things to you. And you start seeing where all these other spiritual disciplines come into play. And how we so desperately need to draw close to Him. For our loved ones that, you know, are still doing what they're doing. And mm-hmm. my Lord break this curse upon them. We can be used, Lord willing, to to, to, to bring light to them. And next we see, drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You see, this harlot, this great prostitute, not only persecutes, but she also revels in her persecution of the godly, as a drunken person revels in wine. This is how she is. She actually is ecstatic about the death of these saints. And next we see this statement, but John said, I marveled with great amazement. John was amazed because this wasn't pagan persecution such as he had seen in his days, but religious error and persecution. This is a pseudo-church, thirsty for the blood of the saints. You see, false religion is always the worst enemy of the truth. We should never forget that some of the most vicious persecutions conducted against true Christians have been done in the name of the church. In the day of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, or excuse me, the Roman Catholic Queen, Queen Mary, when she ruled England, known as Bloody Mary, 288 Christians were burned at the stake for their stand for Christianity between 1555 and 1558. That's pretty crazy. I'm not really good at math, but that's a pretty high number of people that were dying in that community. Burn at the stake. Burn them. Burning. Burning flesh alive. Um, there was a martyr named John Rogers, and, and he stood chained to the stake, and it says, when the fire rose around him, up his legs and shoulders, he rubbed his hands in the flames as if he was washing his hands in cold water. Then he lifted his hands to the heavens and held them high until they were completely consumed by fire. Rogers went to the stake with such calm and dignity that the French ambassador wrote that he went to his death as if he was walking to his wedding. His courage and his faith in Christ was so evident that the huge crowd burst into applause when they saw him walking to the stage. The application for us this morning is this. You see, where we are heading into, church, are difficult times. Some uh, that have never been seen before, this is why we must have a resounding faith. You see, you cannot, and I cannot, let our faith be shaken by societal pressures around us or we will drown we must endure until the end that is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 down to 23 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me Lord Lord do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then well, I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a very staggering statement said many will say to him, Lord, Lord. You see, this is why we need to be sure of our foundation in Christ. And, and I've heard John MacArthur talk about this, and, and I know that it's real because the Lord has revealed real. really it to me before I heard this man speak about it. The reality is this. You can only gauge your salvation by a transformed life. If your life has not changed, you're probably not saved. A supernatural act has to occur. I didn't have to go through Alcohol's Anonymous. I didn't have to go to a counselor. I didn't have to do drug diversion to get me off of all those things. It was a supernatural act. And I was—I smoked so I couldn't smoke no more. You know, I did so much in that 17-year period. But it was a supernatural act, and the Lord did it. I know that the Lord did it. You see, there has to be a transformation. You can't, we can't proclaim we love Jesus, but we're doing all these other things. Having a million dollars worth of jewelry, doing this, doing that, cheating on our taxes, doing all kind of other bad stuff, and then coming to the house of God and saying, no, I love you, Lord Jesus. If we have a transformed life, we're going to experience breakthroughs time and time and time again, even though you go through difficult circumstances of life. And that's, I'll bring it back to fasting. That's what the fasting is about. You're still going to have the same problems that you, that you would have had had you not fasted, but your perspective is going to be different, and you're going to be closer to God, and you're going to be able to deal with your circumstances so much better. That's yeah. the thing. That's the thing. That's what it's about. Amen? Amen. All right, last mm-hmm. two verses in the time. i actually make some kind of you sometimes. You won't be out of here late. Okay. Revelation chapter 17, verses 7 and 8 setting it up for Daniel for next week all right but the angel said to me why do you marvel I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction and the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not to come okay so we see that the angel speaking here is the same angel that brought john into a vision about a great prophecy we just kind of touched on that on the the first uh, several verses this symbolic symbolic excuse me this symbolic woman is the religious aspect of Babylon. It's just, again, this religious system. John said that he marveled greatly, meaning he was amazed. He was astonished by what he saw. He was following, sick to his stomach, like, wow, these, these things are really going to occur. You see, although John was a, an apostle, and a blessed uh, apostle, an apostle that was used greatly by the Lord, we would think that he was revered highly, amen. Um, even though he was a great apostle of the world, he didn't know everything. He often depended upon a revelation from heaven to clarify matters. And the application is this. We too, we too as 21st century Christians, will never outgrow our need to depend upon God for enlightenment. Amen? Fortunately, God has given his Holy Spirit to us to help us understand what he has revealed. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 down to 12 say, But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of a man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love Him, these things, God, these things, excuse me, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, capital S, knowing that that's the Holy Spirit. I'm not interjecting it at It's giving clarification. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Again, we see that this is so important. How do we hear clearly from Lord? We have to seek him. We have to be intentional. We have to carve out time. Right? When we do these things, we draw closer to him. And we must understand he loves us so dearly. Think about it. Many of you have grandchildren in this room. How dearly do you love your grandchildren? You want them to draw close to you. You draw close to them. In that same way, our Heavenly Father is so excited when we choose to draw close to him. He can't wait to embrace us. He can't wait to shower us with blessings, the blessings and the joy and the peace of knowing Him on an intimate level. And there's also, whatever, physical, monetary blessings that are associated with that, but that's He, he only gives those things because He knows that we're able to steward them the right way. If we have a wicked heart or a crooked heart, or if we're only seeking Him for monetary things, He's gonna be like, I'm not going to give you those things, I'll give you me <laughs> when you're ready. When you're mature enough to experience me and enjoy me for me, not for things I give you. But you see, he loves us. So we need to draw close to him so we can hear clues and have the confident hope of knowing that he's got our back in every circumstance. Amen? The attending angel said he would explain the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that supported her. The angel saw the look of bafflement on John's face and promised to reveal the meaning of what he was seeing. You see, the Lord will always give us the answer we need when we are truly seeking him, desiring to be obedient to him alone. He will always answer you according to his will if you're seeking him in truth. In verse 8, the angel identifies the scarlet beast and predicted species. The beast supports the woman, the multi-conglomerate religious Babylon. This is, again, the center connection between this this, this ungodly uh, group. This creature is said to have a known past, present, and future. This description connects with the description found in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, of the Antichrist having a mortal wound on its head, and that was healed. He arises from the bottomless pit, the location of demons, which points to his power as satanic. Many Bible scholars interpret the beast's past, present, and future tenses to the Roman Empire that collapsed in the past. It experienced a time of non-existence and will emerge in the tribulation as the revived Roman Empire, finally destroyed when Jesus returns to the earth. According to Revelation chapter 17 verse 8, the whole world with the exception of believers will be astonished at the beast Revived presence and power. Those mesmerized by the beast, and those who do not have their names written in the long Book of Life. The bottom line is this: every human has an incredibly important decision to make. I'm going to end with this, word, this verse, this portion scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 15-18, and it, it just simply says, "See, I have set before you today life and death, and uh, uh, excuse me, life." but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. May we simply be those that choose life in Jesus Christ and not death in the spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for, for just you, the fact that that you love us so much that you've created this way for us to be reconnected to you. Throughout all time, you have had a desire that your creation would turn back to you, and you've used many different people to try to get these points across. And here we are in 2022, and Lord, you're still carrying Lord. So we pray that as we have breath in our lungs, we will choose good and life and not evil and death. May we be those that cling to you and find our hope in you no matter what the circumstance. So we are always looking to have our lives satisfied by your presence alone. And so we're the only one that can do these things. So Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.